Revelation 3, verse 14 to 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich. I have prospered. And I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich. And white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, these letters are not written to us. They are written to real living churches in the ancient world in the province of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. They are not written, any of them, directly to us. But each has important stuff to say to us, some very directly. Each letter begins with a reminder that they are the words of the Lord Jesus, and it is His voice that we want to hear. So, let's pray to that end. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Our Father, this description of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, reminds us whose words these are. Help us, therefore, to listen with humble and obedient hearts. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You have given us ears to hear, so help us to listen. Really listen and obey for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, on the notes in the service sheet, you will see four headings beginning with R. And the middle two jump out as obvious from the text of the letter, rebuke and remedy. Uh, I just couldn't resist the first and the last. Royal Mail, and let me confess that I pinched that title from somebody else. Royal Mail and Royal Future. So there we go. Royal Mail, rebuke, remedy, royal future. Now, what is the point of this letter? This letter can often be mispreached. And here's the mispreached. 
a kind of collective shaking up that we are at the beginning of a new year more wholehearted. We do more. We sign up to more rotas. That's wrong. This letter is written to a church. I suspect that had no spaces on the rotas at all left, but a church that desperately needed the Lord Jesus. That's what this letter is about, a church that needs the Lord Jesus. So first then, verse 14, Royal Mail. One of our children recently received a letter from the Queen, not unsolicited, but in response to a letter they had written to her off their own bat. And uh, the letter came from the palace, and it was Royal Mail, not just the stamp, but the letter and the monograph and all that stuff, and even the quality of the paper that letter, and the signature on the letter. And uh, that letter has been read and read again and is stuck on a notice board in the bedroom. And these letters in Revelation 2 and 3 are royal mail from the Lord Jesus to these churches. Each letter begins with a different description of the Lord Jesus. So look at the, the previous letter, chapter 3, verse 7, the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David. That's the Lord Jesus. And in our letter, 314, Jesus is described as the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Royal mail and some title, some signature on this letter. The Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. The signature on this letter, the writer of this letter is the last word, the Amen. He is the first word. He was there at the beginning of creation, and therefore what he says is faithful and true. He is not just an expert witness. He is the perfect witness, and his assessment of the state of a church is the one that counts. If you want an honest assessment of your physical health, you need a good doctor if you want an honest assessment of your finances, get a good financial advisor. If you want an honest assessment of your church's health, call in the Lord Jesus. How do you do that? Listen to his words. Royal Mail, verse 14. Secondly, 15 to 17, rebuke. Now, many churches look the part. What I've done is we've worked through uh, Revelation chapters 2 and 3, uh, all these different churches, is uh, called them, and I think this is right to do this, uh, Philadelphia Evangelical Church, or Sardis Evangelical Church, or, or Pergamum Evangelical Church, and here, Laodicea Evangelical Church. Healthy churches, at least on the face of it, Great programs, children's work, a strong group of elders and staff, they look the part, and the church in Laodicea looked the part to the outside observer, a healthy, vibrant church, well-led, gifted staff, gifted ministry, associates, rotas, full. And so when the letter was opened and read, the last thing on their minds as they gathered in their church meeting was a rebuke from the Lord Jesus. Now, I guess they would have expected the odd nudge, the odd B+, plus, but not what they got. Listen to what he says to them. 
And listen out, lest he is speaking to us. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. That is not a gentle nudge. They're like tepid, stale water. And he will spit them out of his mouth. They are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. They are like a glass of water that has been sitting out in the sun. It's flat. Now, it's really important that we understand the picture Jesus uses here. We might misunderstand it. Both cold and hot water are useful. That's what's in Jesus' mind here. Cold water is refreshing and good to drink. Hot water is cleansing and healing. Both cold and hot water are useful. Lukewarm water is useless. That's the image in Jesus' mind. Unless, of course, uh, you're bathing a baby when lukewarm water is. You know how you test it with your elbow. And I thought I'd say that in case someone came up to me afterwards, particularly in service one with all these families, and just to kind of warn them off that I know that you bath babies with lukewarm water. But in the ancient world, they didn't. They didn't bath them at all. The point of Jesus' metaphor here is cold is useful and hot is useful. Refreshing, vital, or sparkling, or cleansing, or healing, useful, but you are lukewarm. Laodicea Evangelical Church. Tepid, sickly, the sparkle, the effervescence has gone. The cleansing, the healing is not there anymore. Archaeologists tell us, and uh, these facts are helpful. Uh, You don't need them to understand the Bible, but they are helpful sometimes in illuminating stuff to us. Apparently, there were three cities close together, Colossae, Hierapolis, and Laodicea. Down the road from Laodicea, 10 miles, Colossae had a cool, refreshing, natural spring of water, a bit like Buxton in England today, where we get our bottled water from, the Buxton of the ancient world down the road. Up the road, Hierapolis had a hot spring, like Bath today in England. You went there for its healing properties. Down the road, a cool spring. Up the road, a hot spring in Laodicea in the middle, neither. Water was piped in, and uh, by the time you got water in a pipe in the ancient world, it was lukewarm, not healthy, not useful. Now, that might be right. I suspect it is. And uh, so when uh, this letter was read out in the church meeting in the Odyssea, they would have got the metaphor right away. You're neither hot, you're neither cold, you're lukewarm, no effervescent sparkle vitality. One Bible commentator gets it just right and, and says the church was flat. Just didn't taste good. Now, what does lukewarmness look like or feel like in a church? And uh, remember, you've got to look carefully because it will not look warm when you first look. What does it feel like to be in a church that is lukewarm and it won't feel like that right away. And of course, lukewarmness 
doesn't suddenly come upon a church. It's not hot or cold last Sunday and lukewarm this Sunday. It kind of steals upon a church about the same rate as it takes for hot water to cool down. It takes a long time. Got to see the signs. What does it look or feel like in a church? And of course, the church is made up of us as individuals. What does it look or feel like in my life? Now, spiritual lukewarmness is when a church or a Christian has lost their sparkle, their, their, their zeal, if you like, their energy for the Lord Jesus. So when a church has lost its desire to serve Him wholeheartedly, it's not a kind of collective rush of adrenaline at the start of another year. It's just at the start of another year, a deep-rooted desire to go on with the stuff that thrills our hearts and is hard to use the gifts God has given us for His glory. Lukewarmness is when a church has lost its zeal for, for example, holiness, for Christian living. It's not when a church struggles with holiness. Struggle comes when you're hot or cold. Lukewarmness is when we've lost the heart to do so. Or with evangelism. A church is lukewarm when what you hear from the front in terms of evangelism is like a stick hitting your back. A church is hot or cold when we listen to opportunities for evangelism with a creative instinct in our hearts to pray, God, come on, help me, show me, who are these people? Or spiritual lukewarmness is the loss of joy in the Lord Jesus himself. So we've just sung. What have we sung? Hallelujah. You wake up. <laughs> Frighten you. All I have is Christ. You did sing it like that, at least the first time. Or how do we sing in church? Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. As we grind out the 52nd repetition of that line. Now, whether you love that song or weary of the 52 repetitions of that line, whether you love it or hate it, there is in your heart as a Christian surely that spark of vitality that says, yes, all I have is him. How we sing praises to one another in church and to God is a test of our lukewarmness. Lukewarmness in a church is when a church lacks real love for the Lord and for one another. Now, I'm not saying we always find it easy to get along with one another. I'm just not going to look at anyone. <laughs> it's always a preacher's mistake. Why are you looking at me? No. But we love each other deeply, don't we? A lukewarm church is where there is little love. That's why, as a church, we're so committed to encouraging you to go into small groups. It's not because churches do that. It's because you can be loved and love people in a real Christian way because you know them well enough. Lukewarmness in a church means people are not growing because the sermons are half-baked. The edge has gone. Small group attendance is occasional. Why? Not because we're busy, because we are. That's fine. Come when you can. Small group attendance is occasional in a lukewarm church because the small groups are not watering holes anymore. 
They're not like cold baths that Mo Farah took last night so he could run again next week in the other race. They're not like hot springs that you dip into and are encouraged for another week. There's a good image for our small groups. Cold plunge baths where your muscles get refreshed. And hot springs where you're given healing and restoring stuff. Spiritual lukewarmness in a church happens when the church becomes so busy with things and they are good Christian things, so busy with stuff and programs and rotas and this, that and the other that we suddenly forget the Lord Jesus and he hardly enters our minds and our hearts and he doesn't get a look in. There is little time to stop and remember and remind each other that all I have is Jesus. So busy with other things that the Lord Jesus has gone. Now, verse 17 just shifts the tack a little from lukewarmness and its symptoms to its cause. The reason that church is lukewarm, it is as a church and as individuals, because the church has become self-satisfied. For you say, verse 17, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The application is corporate here, more than individual. I think a church that once was sparkling becomes lukewarm when it becomes self-satisfied, self-confident, self-reliant, thinking it needs nothing, not realizing or forgetting that standing before you this morning and sitting before me this morning are a bunch of sinners saved by grace. Pitiable, wretched, poor, naked, all we have is Christ. Lukewarmness has its roots in a church, in a minister, in elders, and people who have lost their dependence on the Lord Jesus for everything. Now we're going to sing uh, a great hymn later, and uh, not as many people in service one like no knew it. You know, love it. I tried it out this week in the office, and when you try these hymns out in the office, um, what happens is for the next day everyone sings it. Some of you will know this hymn, I Need Thee Every Hour. I'm encouraged by the number of nods. I need thee every hour, whether you know the hymn or not. Do you need him every hour? Most gracious Lord, I need thee, oh, I need thee every hour. I need thee, bless me, my Savior. I need thee. This past week, we had a conference in the hub with people like Andy and Sam from across the country, people training to be ministers, and they all had to preach a 30-minute sermon to the group and then get a critique. They are all gifted, and the sermons were good. And there was wonderfully and encouraging not an ounce of a competitive spirit between them. What there was amongst them individually and together was a deep consciousness of their need of and dependence on the Lord Jesus. And it showed, well, it didn't show We heard it when they preached. I remember the first sermon I preached, the 21st of November, 1999. I wasn't scared or nervous. Well, not much. What I can remember, though, is a real earnest, dependent prayer the day before the morning of that sermon. 
on the Lord Jesus because I was at the start line. A real dependence of need. 550 sermons later, is it a formula? I wonder. And if you read the script of the sermon or the Bible study or the kids' work that we've prepared or the one-on-one evangelism we're about to do, the script will never, ever read lukewarm. But what is heard will be lukewarm. Because that sermon, that Bible study, that one-on-one has been written without dependence on the Lord Jesus. I need thee every hour, or I need him. You need him every hour. We need him every hour as a church. That is expressed above all in prayerful dependence on the Lord Jesus. Andy Amora, when you are in Bolivia, I hope and pray that the Lord Jesus will lead you to an ever deeper reliance and dependence on him, to a prayer life that expresses your need and dependence of him. That you might be effervescent and useful and vital Christians, as I believe God has gifted you to be and are. But lukewarmness can find its way to Bolivia as well as here. I don't know what's going on in your homes. I'm glad you don't know what goes on in our home all the time, if I'm honest. But I hope and pray that in your homes there is prayer. And there won't be as much as you would like there to be. And there will be prayerless days. And there will be occasions where if you are married, one or other of you is better off at it than the other. There will be occasions when your children say, Daddy, why haven't we prayed? And just don't get a big guilt trip. Just do it. I hope and pray that in our homes across Chalmers Church we are praying. And I will not ever again, I hope, ever exhort you with a rod over your back to come to a church prayer meeting. And I will not say to you, we'll tinker with this, that, and the other, and we'll change the formula in the prayer meeting, we'll move the seats around, and we'll have a different kind of food to encourage you to come. What will encourage you to come and pray? If in your heart, your heart beats with these words, I need thee every hour. If we had a sparkle with zeal and joy and sing, and uh, you don't need to lift your hands or put your hands in your pockets or sing in tune or not, or out loud or quietly to sing, all I have is Christ. You just sing it with joy. If we are going to do that, We need thee every hour. If we are to climb some of the mountains that rise up before us, and they will, and they are, we need thee every hour. You guys are going to be at some astonishing height of altitude. When you come back, Andy, you will be a wonderful asset to the church football team. You will climb some other heights in Bolivia that'll be hard paths. I need thee every hour. If you and I are to get to tea time tomorrow, I need thee every hour. And if by God's grace we get to next Sunday again, 
I need thee every hour. Now, as we turn to the remedy from the rebuke, let me add another reason that a church becomes lukewarm or family Christian life becomes lukewarm because the people in the church are knackered, exhausted. It's a real reason, isn't it? They're wearied by life or the Christian life, which can be pretty wearying if we're honest. Or they're just tired because they've done four van runs starting at 7.15 in the morning. Many of you did that over the summer, and it was good for us all to do it and take a shot. Or you're wearied because you've tried awfully hard with that person to persuade them to come along, and they just aren't that interested. And the sparkle is gone, and we feel pretty flat. And that's a reason for lukewarmness creeping in. Now, you and I need the remedy of these verses 18 to 20. As I sat in my study on, on whenever it was, Friday, Saturday, typing this bit of the sermon, I, I've got a, a desk now that sits against a wall, and I preach it at the wall. I sit there, and I type, and I shout at the wall. And the other side of the wall is the next-door neighbor's kitchen. She turns up the radio. <laughs> I preach to the wall... And if you think that's really barmy, there's plenty of other preachers in this room, and they do the same thing. You've got to try it out on the wall first. And the next person's your wife, and then the congregation. <laughs> you preach, and the wall bounces it back to me. You know, sound bounces back off the wall into my heart. And I thought, well, I really need this sermon. And maybe you do, and maybe we do as a church. Maybe we're lukewarm, maybe we're tired. The start of a beginning of another year. We, we might have climbed a mountain last year. We're down the other side and there's another mountain. What's the remedy to lukewarmness? In one word, Jesus. Him. Not his gospel, not truths about him, not his promises. Him. Him in person. Now, we need two things, and you'll see it on the sheet, his provisions and his presence, most of all. Firstly, his provision, that's verse 18. The picture here is, I think, of a shop. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Now, the Lord Jesus loves you very much. That's why he reproves and disciplines us, that we might be zealous and repent. And he wants us to visit his shop a little more than we've been doing. And take what he offers us. Come into my shop, he says. Stop doing all that stuff over there. Put it down. Put your shopping bags down and come into my shop. Stop window shopping. Come in. In fact, the whole of Chalmers can squeeze in at once. It is a big shop. Now I'm going to stop with the analogy. What can you buy? Well, you can't because it's free. The cost is humility. All the stuff in his shop is on the bottom shelf. It's not the top shelf that when you are old and gray and have reached a higher level of Christian knowledge that you can reach up and take. All of it is on the bottom shelf. All you need to do is kneel down in humility 
and take it. What can you get for the cost of your humility? Gold refined by fire. I suggested to Andy and Maura in the first service that all they can take to go to Bolivia is a suitcase each. I said that they may lose the suitcases in transit. That is not a prophecy. But what do you take to Bolivia, really, in truth? Gold refined by fire. So you may be rich. Lasting treasure and solid joy, peace, joy, contentment, that stuff. White garments so that you may clothe yourselves. Andy, I've always thought you're a pretty smart dresser, designer clothes. I'm going to tell you to stop going to Prada or M&S, wherever it is any of us go for our clothes. And clothe yourself with the garments of Christ. That's the image here, white ones. One or two of you have commented on my rather plain dress sense. Uh, so I stopped wearing black trousers and white shirts every Sunday. You can see that today. The Christian life is a little bit like putting on a white garment when we become Christians, Jesus' robes. And the Christian life is a bit like every day getting up and putting on a white shirt or a white blouse. Every day, every day, every day. Or salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. We're going to sing at the end. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Lord, help me to see a bit more clearly again because I've lost that clarity. Help me to see the opportunities for evangelism. Help me to see how I can serve. Help me to see who I should speak to after the service. Help me to see, Lord, I've just lost my way. Let him put that ointment on your eyes. Salve. Savlon, not Savlon, Optrex is the one. Lasting treasure, joy, peace, contentment, righteousness, holiness, clear spiritual sight. That's what's in the shop. It's a lovely shop, isn't it? All we have to do is go in a bit more and stoop down and take. How do you do that practically? Tell me how to do it practically. Read your Bible and pray. For the treasure comes to us as the Word of God convinces us of what we have in Christ, and we say, Jesus, please give it to me. It is not more complicated than that. You might be sitting here thinking, oh, yes, it is. How many of us really every day in our Christian life get up in the morning and lunchtime because we've forgotten, and in the evening again, say, please, Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, just give me a little bit more of that Spirit in my life. Give me a little bit more of a sense of joy and peace and contentment and fulfillment and purpose. Please give it. How many of us really ask for that every day? Let's try. And remember, it's all on the bottom shelf. We need his provision as an antidote to lukewarmness, but most of all, we need his presence. We need him. Now, I don't know what kind of summer you've had. I'm glad the summer is done. You know, I keep telling you that. I think summer is a risky time. I'm really glad that today, for the first time in two or three months, I just kind of feel we're all back together again. Even though all these people are leaving, please lock the door, don't let anyone else go. 
brought back together. There's something about that, isn't there? What kind of summer have you had? What kind of year have you had? Where are we in our Christian life as a church? Might it be that the Lord Jesus is standing just outside the door there of the JMCC and he is out there, not in here, and he's knocking? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And the verse is often used evangelistically. Jesus outside the door of your life knocking. You're hearing his voice. He wants to come in and be your Savior and Lord. Now, if that is true for you this morning, then open the door and let him in for the first time. What a wonderful thing that would be. But the image here is not about him knocking the door on a non-Christian's life. He's knocking on the door of a Christian's life. He's knocking on the front door of one Middleby Street where we live or where you live. He's knocking on the door of this building, the hub, maybe. And he's saying, let me in. Stop leaving me out of your church life. It's my church. I want back in to put that vitality, that sparkle back into you. And remember, it is him who wants back in. Not some truth we've forgotten. Him. By his spirit. And uh, isn't it wonderful that there's no resentment for the Lord Jesus? If you put a child out of the room, it takes you about two hours for that child to kind of forget. If we put the Lord Jesus out of the heart of our church's life, where is he? He's standing at the door knocking and saying, let me back in. How do you know he's outside the door? Because you hear his voice. Are we hearing the voice of Jesus? That gentle knocking, or not so gentle, that is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The start of a church leader. Are you tired? Did you read this letter and think, oh no, he's going to tell us to sign up and do more. And oh, I could easily have preached that sermon. It's wrong. You're hearing something far more wonderful. Let the Lord Jesus into your life. Come to church on a Sunday and let's worry about these mountains we have to climb, but let's relish who we are. Our joy in Christ, however you express joy. I don't express joy like I've just done. Relish who you are. We are 100% safe and sound. Because all we have is Christ. Christianity in the first and last analysis is a relationship with a person, the Lord Jesus. Are you walking in intimate relationship with him? Does he figure in your minds throughout the day? Do you read his word? Do you pray to him? Do you talk to him? Do you love him? Do you know him? Do you depend on him? Are you close to him? Do you submit to him? Do you love him? Do you need him every day? There is an intimacy here, a real living relationship with Jesus. 
But let's not be too casual. For who is out, who's outside the door? My friend, the Lord Jesus, absolutely. My brother, the Lord Jesus, absolutely. But who is outside the door? The Amen. The faithful witness. The beginning of God's creation. The King of Kings is outside the door. So let His Majesty back in. I need thee every hour. I need a friend, the Lord Jesus. I need a brother, the Lord Jesus. I need the King of Kings in my life. Royal Mail, Royal Rebuke, Royal Remedy, Royal Future. In our sermon prep uh, this week, uh, one of the team said to me, I hope you are going to devote a proper amount of time to verses 21 and 22. They're great verses, and so they are. We'll not devote much time to them. You've got to read them this afternoon. I want you to read these verses this afternoon. They're wonder- Just listen. Listen to what God's Word says. The one who conquers, that's you if you're a Christian, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Did you hear? The one who conquers, that's you if you're a Christian, I will grant him or her to sit with me on my throne. And that is my Father God's throne also. In glory for all eternity for the Christian, there is a space not in the royal palace, wonderful as that would be, but on the throne where Jesus sits beside God. The Son of God sits with God on his throne, and that is where God's children sit. Isn't that remarkable? A 10-week series on systematic theology might help us to understand what that means. And we'll never fully know till we're there. What you and I need to know is that in all of eternity, God will give us the status, the privileges that He has given to His Son who sits with Him on the throne in glory. Privileges that are beyond what we could ever imagine. And that is our eternal future. A church that needs the Lord Jesus. A home that needs the Lord Jesus. A Christian that needs the Lord Jesus. Because we've gone lukewarm. And let's, as a church in the year ahead, whatever we do and whatever mountains we climb, let's be vigilant such that the Lord Jesus is never outside the door. Let's relish all that we have from Him and in Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for these very strong and yet very wonderful words. Thank You that You very gently and not so gently diagnose the symptoms of lukewarmness. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be found this year individually and as small groups and as a church living out these great truths. I need thee every hour. 
and that you would not be far away, but right there with us by the Spirit in our minds every day. For we talk to you, we read your word. We come on Sundays and we sing songs. Some we like, some we don't. But we love the truths. My Jesus, my Savior, all I have is Christ. I need thee every hour. Be thou my vision. Lord, come back in if we have put you out and strengthen us and put the effervescence back into our corporate life and our family lives and our individual lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.